Hello and welcome to the Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento. I'm your host, Max Connor, and today we switch gears just a little bit. We're still going to talk about love of food and we're still going to talk all about Sacramento, but less from the sense of making food and more from the sense of serving it. Because today, our guest is Neil Little. And Neil has been a front of house worker. And front of house, for those of you who don't know, is an industry term, which means your bussers, your servers, your bartenders, your host or hostess. If you hear the term back of house, those are the cooks and the chefs who are making the food. Neil has worked in restaurants in Sacramento for nearly 15 years. He worked at Rio City Cafe when he first moved to Sacramento. He worked at DeVere's Irish Pub as a bartender, server, and even manager. He helped open Emperor's Tavern and worked there for several years. And then he moved on and helped open Camden Spit and Larder, where he still works today. He is deeply ingrained and plugged into the industry here in Sacramento, which is really exciting because not only did we have a fun conversation today just all about what it's like to work in a restaurant, but Neil is also a journalism student, much like I was. And Neil has also always wanted to start a podcast and had the idea to start one centered around food in Sacramento, just like I did. So when Neil and I met, we started talking about the possibility of him helping with this podcast, which is what he's going to do moving forward. So today is not only a conversation with someone who knows a lot about restaurants in Sacramento, but it's also an introduction to Neil, who is going to be helping me out on future episodes to put the show together, interviewing guests, and co-hosting. We had a really fun conversation. It started out as an interview kind of going through Neil's life story and how he got into restaurants, and the second half really just turns into two people who have worked in restaurants talking all about what it's like and giving you a bit of the behind the scenes and also just some great stories of what happens when you're ingrained in the restaurant culture and that relationship between your team, but also those relationships that you build with guests. So let's jump right into it as I introduce you to Neil Little, server currently at Camden Spit and Larder, and also future co-host of the Dine One Six podcast. Neil Little, welcome to the Dine One Six. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me on. I've, I've been listening to a lot of your stuff and I'm a, big, I'm a big fan. Right on, man. I appreciate that. I want to start, as I always do, with just talking about what your relationship was to food growing up. What was it like in the house? How, how sort of connective was food for you and your family food was uh very connective for my family but it wasn't until later in life that i looked back and realized how much it was a part Mm. i was very lucky to grow up in a childhood where we had a full dinner every night my mom cooked up a full meal you know starch protein vegetables fruit the whole nine yards and we had a full family meal every night of the week growing up you know granted you know saturday sundays things happening things this that and the other life and whatnot but for the most part we had those meals and my mom introduced my sister and i to just so many foods because it was either eat what she's cooking or you're going hungry for the night (laughs) it was there was not a lot of wiggle room i'm like "Mm, i don't want that mom it was tough you're gonna eat it it's good for you so and my mom was an incredible chef growing up and actually that was where i got my first cooking chops was with her uh i was assigned i think i was 14 or 15 years old i was assigned wednesday nights for dinner with the family oh wow 
And I know, bold move by my mom. We didn't yeah. know if we were going to make it to Thursday sometimes with the way I cooked. <laughs> I don't know if you're... So, so we're from the same... You know, you're a few years older than me. But in Safeways growing up, do you remember the Safeway Select magazine? I don't. So my dad, I grew up in a food snob house. My dad is a total food snob. He grew up eating spam casseroles. So when he was a grown up and got a career, he was like, I'm not eating any casseroles. Hold on. I'm not eating. Hold on. I will not tolerate any spam (laughs) slander right now. Me, I love spam. When I told him I had spam musubi the first time. I love spam musubi. Yeah. He was like, spam, you are not my son. I was like, dude, I'm sorry you had to eat it in some weird way when you were a kid. But it's good. Even just fried in some butter and on a piece of toast. Oh, it's yum. delicious. Yeah. So anyway, the point of that story was we had this high-end market called Dragers, which is kind of like nugget market around here where okay. I grew up in the Bay Area. And my dad literally he refused to go to Safeway. So we never went to Safeway my entire childhood. He refused to ever go there and would only go to the high He still, to this day, won't step foot into a Safeway, which they're nicer now than we were when I was a kid. But anyway, so that's... That's my Safeway story. So I remember Safeway Select products, but the magazine, no. I am so conflicted. Like, (laughs) part of me absolutely loves your father, but part of me is also completely offended at the same time. But I'm I'm completely okay with that. Like, I love the level of snobbery there. I, I would love to be at that level. But we were we were Safeway. I, I it's funny. Even to this day, I am still a Safeway loyalist. Are you really? I live I live a half mile from Rayleigh's and a half mile from Safeway. And I will consciously go to Safeway. Uh, I, I don't know why. It's just old habits die hard. I'm the exact opposite. It's, it's baked into me. I refuse to go to Safeway. I will only go to Bel Air or Rayleigh's or Nugget or Sprouts. There's a Safeway closer than all those places, but I pretty much refuse to step foot in there. That is hilarious. <laughs> I, I, yeah, okay, but it makes me feel better that I'm not the only one that has these thoughts. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they, they had a magazine there. And I'm sure it was mostly ads and things like that. But in the back, they would have like six or eight weeknight dinner guide recipes that were on the simpler side, like pork chops with apples or little things like that. And so that my mom, you know, we'd get one of those. And so we'd go through one different recipe each week and she would teach me things and show me how to cook and everything. And I still remember the first time I had a pork chop with applesauce. That flavor combination absolutely blew my mind. And I will never not eat a pork chop without green apples now or or a peach or something like yeah the savory to the sweet combination just completely blew my mind and it was just like whoa this is just so cool and something that i love and so that was the start of my food passion but again it was on the periphery i didn't really really you know my mom was like pavloving me she was just okay. setting me up with food i didn't know yeah. what was going on there and from there, my first job was actually in a restaurant as a busser at a Misto Cafe in Napa, California. I don't remember a lot about it. It was a, it was a nicer little spot. I had absolutely no business working there. <laughs> Why they hired my three my two best friends and I was arguably their worst business decision they ever made. But so we worked there for a bit. Absolutely hated it. Swore I would never go back to restaurants. Mm. Graduated high school, bounced around, ended up in San Diego, and a buddy, I was living with some buddies. I was working on boats at the time, just doing like dry dock work, sanding, varnishing, terrible for your lungs stuff. And a buddy of mine was working at a Fred's Mexican Cafe downtown, said, hey man, we're looking for some summer help, cheap way to get food, and you know, there's a bar attached. I was 21, I was like, sounds awesome, cheap food, cheap drinks, I'm in. 
and from there I just kind of started learning the behind the scenes on like what actually happens in a restaurant and actually you know not being 15 16 years old I actually had the the wherewithal to comprehend and you know get involved with what was going on and I'm now 35 years old and I've been working in restaurants ever since and I absolutely love it it absolutely sucked me in, you know, lear- learning different foods and how they work and just the environment that food and the way it brings people together is just fascinating to me. I grew up in a similar household for sure, where we had family dinners every night and both my parents, they both worked full time and they were both good cooks. It was rare. It was a few times a month, maybe that we wouldn't be sitting down at the dinner table to have a meal. And yeah, you ate what you gave you. And I give that to my kids too. It's like, you don't have to eat this but I'm not just going to go make mac and cheese instead because you threw a fit. So trust me, I want to, but it's <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. I'm going to make mac and cheese at 11 o'clock when you're asleep. <sighs> I'd make my dad so mad. Cause it was like, so often we'd have good dinners or he, you know, he'd buy like New York steaks and barbecue them. And I would just be like, I want, can I just have a hang? Like, where's the ground meat, man? Where's the cube steak and teriyaki sauce. And just like, Ugh. yum. All right, so you started as a busser. What was your first serving job at a place where you you had to jump from, all I got to do is hustle and work hard and clear plates and just be my server's wingman to now I have to organize and remember and smile and greet and know the menu and all that sort of good stuff. Tell me about the early days of being a server. My first non-bussing job, like being allowed to communicate with the public, <laughs> uh, was actually bartending. Okay. It was uh, bussing down in San Diego at Fred's Mexican Cafe down there. And they, San Diego, again, back in the day, used to do this really cool thing down, uh, it was Fifth Street. They would block it off for big holidays, St. Patrick's Day, Mardi Gras, things like that. And so for Mardi Gras, they kind of blocked it all off. So it was, you know, one, in, one way in, one way out. Everyone was 21. You could take drinks outside of restaurants, wander around. It was fantastic. And so it was that weekend I had been busting. I had the day shift. And so I'd gotten off. It was probably like 4, 35 o'clock. And the bar back that night that was supposed to come in had gotten hung up in traffic. And now he was like just waiting to get into the event. And so he called in and we, you know, we're, we're four deep at the bar at this point, just getting throttled. And so my manager, Robin was like, Neil, want a bar back? Get behind the bar. And like, yeah, at 21 years old, you're not going to say no. It's like, absolutely. Throw me in. Like I'm in the thick of war now. I'm into it. And I got thrown back there, the, the lead bartender, Jacob, who was like my older brother, the guy has taught me so many things, absolutely love him. He kind of pulled me back there. He said, you're making mixed drinks like whiskey, Coke, things like that, and you're pouring beer, stay out of the way. Like, yes, sir, got it. Mm-hmm. And so that was my first experience getting behind the, like getting behind the rail and really doing it. And I absolutely loved it. Just, the, you know, the, the fast pace, the playfulness, the snarkiness, the sarcasm, getting to meet all these different people and just all these different stories and walks of life was just fascinating. And it's fun to just communicate with people and chat with them and talk with them and all the stories you hear and things like that. And it was from right there, like just chatting with different people. You can see, you know, five different people in a row with the most different stories and diverse backgrounds and where they've come from and stories. And it's just fun to talk to these people. And so that was when it really got into like, I enjoy this. And as well, cheap food. So Yeah, there you go. And drinks, once you get behind the bar. And drinks. Yes, you know, drinks happen to go missing every <laughs> once in a while. So were you a social kid then? Like, was it, was it a natural transition for you to work in restaurants? Or did working in restaurants bring you out of your shell? Oh, no, this has been since day one. <laughs> uh, I've, I've always been able to talk. So I, I was raised in Hawaii, hence the Spam Musubi comment. And in Hawaii, 
on your first day of kindergarten or the first couple days, like you get dropped off. But apparently one of the rules, which I'm sure they are, I hope they have since changed for the teacher's sake, is that you're not allowed to tell a kid to be quiet. So mm. the first day of kindergarten, they just want to get to know you and talk and things like that. And so, you know, they tell a lot of the parents, drop them off at eight. You can pick them up at like 10 o'clock. So my mom comes back down to pick me up and 10 o'clock turns into 1030 and 1030 turns into 11. And I was a hellion as a kid. If I could do it wrong, I was going to do it. And just, I was always in trouble, not for bad things, but just dumb things. Like, don't do that. I'd just go run and do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so my mom kind of finally got concerned to the point of like, is everything okay with my son? And I just hadn't stopped talking yet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I was just telling them of, I'm, I'm sure I was talking about dinosaurs or fire trucks or dump trucks or something. So yeah, the, the gift of gab has been in my blood for a long time. Got um, it. hence why I would love to do podcasts. There you go. Yeah. So you didn't have to go kiss the Blarney stone in, in Ireland to get the gift of gab. It's just baked nope. in. Baked in. So yeah. And so that's really come in handy when serving tables is that like, I can just kind of talk to people. And I also credit my parents for for such a educational and like well-rounded upbringing in that. Uh, both my parents were teachers. And so once we moved from Hawaii to Napa, which was, I think, sixth grade, once a month we would do a trip to like MoMA in San Francisco mm. or Museum of Fine Arts or the De Young or Natural Science. And so they gave me such a well-rounded upbringing that like, yeah, if you want to talk art, I don't know a lot, but I can chat with you about it. Sure. And I just credit to them for, you know, such a well-rounded education and making me learn so many weird, cool, different things that now it plays to my benefit. Yeah. Cool. So you land in Sacramento. What was that first place that you got a job at here? First spot was at Rio City Cafe down yeah, on no the, uh, old, yeah. in old Sacramento. Yep. Working. I, I was serving and then quickly trans transitioned over into bartending there. And uh, so I was there for, God, good three, four years. Great time. Bill Diaz was the general manager there, and he he taught me everything I know about serving. The man was absolutely fantastic. Whipped me into shape. He was definitely like a, if you messed up, you were going to know it. Mm. But that's fine. Just don't mess up then and do what he says. It's not that difficult. Um, I kind of viewed him like a coach, and growing up playing sports, it was honestly a perfect environment for me. So he, he trained me up there and got me all servered out and ready to go. Um, from there, I jumped over to DeVere's and was serving and bartending there for a bit, uh, which is unfortunately shut down. But I know the boys have a lot of things up their sleeve that I'm, that I'm excited to see. So they were an outstanding ownership to work for as well. Some of the most caring people I've ever been around. Like anything was happening, they had your back. Mm. Great, great guys. Uh, sorry, Henry and... Simon DeVere, I, I call him the boys. It's old habit. Sure. And then from there, moved all the way up to management there. Learned very quickly that management was not for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy being I enjoy being a good server, a good bartender, but I don't want to be in charge. Yeah. When I clock out, I'm sitting down and having a beer. I'm done. I, I just don't want to have to worry about what else is going on outside. Right. Just too much. Um, and, I, and one of the things I learned managing was as a manager, you're only putting out fires. Yeah. Someone's either upset about something. And that's really the only reason you like communicate with people. Not the only, but 80% of the time, that's the only way you're communicating with people. 
Whereas with a server, 90% of my time with people is fun and engaging. And just doing that dramatic switch between the two was, that's just not for me. From there, I jumped over and helped open Empress Tavern that has also recently since closed, unfortunately. I was there for about four years. That was a wild spot. And that was really where I fell back in love with cooking again. Mm. It was there that I the uh, the head chef, well, he wasn't technically head chef, but he was the one doing all the cooking and menu and stuff. Anthony Scuderi became one of my closest friends there. And all of a sudden, having like a chef you can just text really quickly, like... Mm. My roux looks a little light. What am I doing wrong? And just like have the answer texted back to you yeah. was like kind of fun. And so that was really where like I took wanting to learn how to cook to the next level and understanding and appreciating and just watching what the kitchen does, watching their technique, how they cut things up, the way they do different sauces and whatnot. And that was really, you know, between there and DeVere's, I, I had a lot of hands-on being a manager in the back of the house there as well. And that was really where I fell back in love with cooking as well as restaurants. And then getting the opportunity to jump over with Oliver and open up Camden Spit and Larder has been like a culmination of all of my learning in Sacramento. Like we're a good fine dining restaurant, but like the food that we cook is just simple and fun and good. The back of the house guys are awesome. And just like everything came together at Camden. It's just been a, a fun, awesome spot to work. How much did it really change your experience of being a server when you could go from not just trying to do a good job, trying to make sure the guest is happy, trying to, you know, be the be the clown and put on the show at times, but to someone who really deeply loved and enjoyed the food. And when someone wanted to ask you about the food, you could really geek out on it with them, with the guests. You know, how did that make you a better server or make you really want to get even deeper into it? You know, it, it actually started where you and I have the same passion of learning about what's going on behind the food and and the why behind the menu. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to my friend, Anthony Scuderi. When I first started at Empress, I'd been a bar guy for a few years. So I was sure. definitely out of touch with my, with fine dining and things like that. I had done nice dining, but not fine dining. It's that's just that little couple steps more. And I was just kind of chatting with Anthony one night after work. I think we were just out having a beer or something. And I just kind of asked him jokingly like, Hey, you know, so who's, who's the most famous person you've ever served? And he's a bas- I think we were probably out watching a basketball game. So I'm expecting like, a, oh, Charles Barkley or, you know, something fun like that. Yeah. And he goes, oh, you know, funny story. Uh, the Obamas. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> Not at all what I was expecting you to say, yeah. but like blew my mind. And then he brought up how we had a lamb asabuco that was on our menu at that point in time. And that was actually the dish he made for them. And he went in to explain like the saffron and the risotto and the herbs and everything he described with the uh, lamb asabuco. And it was just at that point when it clicked, like he's putting as much into that as I am putting into like selling those things, like, and knowing the why of, of why he cooked and made that dish. And like with the Obamas and things like that, like that was a difficult dish to sell at Empress. Like, how do you sell that up? You know, lamb's a very particular, very gamey dish. Like only certain people like it. I was able to sell that dish like six times a night after that point. Sure. Because it was the why and the how he did it and, and all those things. It was the story behind it that suddenly made that dish so cool to me. And it was that and it was at that point I was like, these are what I want, these are the stories I want to dive into in restaurants. That dish had been on the menu for three months at that point. Maybe not three months or two months, whatever. Like no one knew that story though. And once we learned that why, like it, it was just such a cool moment to like 
see that story come together to impact a restaurant. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's just one of you know endless numbers of stories of why I love food and why I wanted to do a food podcast because there's there's a story behind every dish, right? There's there's a reason why the chef put it together. Sometimes the story is people like Brussels sprouts and bacon. So we put it on the menu because we know it's going to sell. And sometimes that's the story, right? But sometimes it's, you know, we serve this to the Obamas and, or this is my take on my mother's, I mean, the the classic Ratatouille story, right? Of, of in the movie Ratatouille, like every chef has that story oh, of a dish they put that together. That's my favorite Pixar movie. Oh, me too. A hundred percent. That's how I was. I mean, I, I worked as a server for a little bit towards the tail end of working in restaurants in Sacramento for three years. But even as a busser and a bar back, like I would always take the opportunity to nerd out on the food with a guest, you know, towards the end of the night when I had less work to do. And people were always surprised. I would talk to them about the food for 10 minutes and then I'd grab a broom and be sweeping or mopping. And I'd, I'd had a guest before stop me and be like, what are, what's your position here? And I was like, oh, I'm just a busser. Which was also yeah. strange because I was like 37 years old and I was a busser at a restaurant, but I had to go back and work in restaurants after having kids and after selling a business I owned. But, you know, he was just like, why do you know, how do you know so much about the food? And I was like, I just love food, man. So every time we have a new dish, I want to know everything about it and how it was created and why. That's what, it makes it so much fun to work in a restaurant. One of the things I love about Sacramento is just where we are situated. Like we are sitting on the most fertile farmland mm -hmm. in in arguably the nation. Yeah. And that salad you're eating was picked three hours ago. Right. Every single item on that dish. And I just love the freshness and how close everything is to the restaurant. And you can just taste it in the product. It's not from Cisco. It's not out of a bag from Costco. Mm -hmm. And you can taste that. And I just love the simplicity that so many chefs here bring. Simple is equally a refined technique as all these little French little doodads on a plate. Sure. Like allowing the food to talk to it, talk for itself shows so much constraint by a chef that that's equally as impressive in my mind. Absolutely. So, Neil, you've worked in restaurants on the front of the house for a really long time. And you and I, the first time we met, I joke that I have this philosophy that I feel like if you're going to eat in a restaurant, particularly a restaurant where you're going to have a server who knows the menu well and is going to kind of walk you through it and give you recommendations, that you need to have worked in a restaurant for at least three months to be allowed to eat in a restaurant so you know really what can happen. So since we don't have that as a law in our country, explain to people a little bit about what it is really to work in a restaurant, what that chain your order and your food has to go through, and why, beyond the simple fact that you should just never treat front of house people or any human being like garbage, sort of what can go wrong and why people should really respect and honor the work that goes into getting your food from your notepad or your iPad through the kitchen back to your table. I think my, the best analogy I ever heard for a restaurant was actually from an, an old manager of mine at DeVere's. <laughs> at the circus, again, apt description. Uh-huh, uh, of course. You know the, the, the clown that has the plates spinning on the sticks, but he's got like seven of them? That's what a restaurant is. You can't focus on one of those plates. You have to focus on every single one of those for the entire time while they're spinning. Some spin faster than others. Some don't spin very fast, things like that. And so a restaurant is just really a balancing act like that. It takes a lot of hard work, a lot of communication, and a lot of trust within each other. You brought up a fun point of like, everyone should work in a restaurant. 
if I meet someone and I've heard they either work in restaurants or have worked in a restaurant, like I kind of automatically trust them a little bit more. Absolutely. I don't know why. It, it's not really <laughs> fair. And I could be to and, and on, the, on the flip side of that, knowing some of the people I know, that's a completely wrong thing to do. <laughs> but the way the work ethic and like I've never I'll be honest, I've never worked an office job. Just from what I've seen and from what I've heard, it's a consistent pace. It's mellow, not mellow, but like there are expectations for every hour and you can meet them and move forward. Restaurants break open like a bat out of hell at five o'clock at night. Again, I'm using Camden as an example, but like we go from nobody in the restaurant to 140 in the restaurant in a two hour window and it's just go. But you, everyone is important in that restaurant. Camden, where I work, Chef Oliver is an outstanding chef. But he doesn't sell the food to the tables. Right. And he needs the chefs around him who he has trained and taught how to uh, execute his dishes to do their job. Like everyone has an integral piece in the restaurant that if that person goes out of whack, everything comes crashing down. You brought up and you a little bit of a demeaning of yourself, but calling yourself a busser. Dude, as a server... If you're not clearing my tables, I'm not getting more tables. We're not selling that food. You are just as important in that moment as Oliver cooking the food because if that table's not clear, we're not sitting anyone down to eat there. And it's just a lot of hard work and it, you know, and it's, it's treating people with respect on both sides. I want to be treated with respect and our customers want to be treated with respect and just learning that we're all working together and trying our best for you. Like A lot of the times when people get upset, it's like, I've only said it to a table once. I don't regret it. I'll be honest. I don't care if Oliver hears this. <laughs> we had a guy, it was a concert night. We were crushed. And the, the guy was like, hey man, where's our food? Where's our food? You know, asked me like three different times. His wife was even telling him to be quiet. And I finally looked at him and I said, dude, we have a full restaurant. We are trying our best right now. I don't know what to tell you. And I just turned around and walked away at that point. I was like, I'm sorry if I offend you, but there's nothing else I can do right now. Or on the flip side, do you really want me to go tell the chef to get that dish out in front of everyone else in here? Yeah. He has knives. I'm not doing that. <laughs> it is amazing sometimes when, I mean, and maybe it's because when you do a good job in the front of house, you're going to make every table feel like they're the only table in there. But on the other hand, when that happens, you always, you just want to look around and just go, do I even have, do I have to answer that question? Yeah. This is an open yeah. kitchen. You can see what the guys are doing. No one is standing around. No one is on their phone scrolling through Instagram. Every seat in this place is filled. And guess what? All these people have ordered or are ordering or have, or, you know what I mean? Like I shouldn't have to explain this to you. Just pause for a second and look. And it's, it's amazing. You know, the spinning plates analogy is perfect. And I think people, you also have to realize a plate's going to break, you know? Oh yeah. Almost every night. It's not even a game and can you keep them all spinning? It's like, can I keep it to just one or two falling? And anyone who's worked in a restaurant knows the consistent <laughs> one of the hard things about working in a restaurant is it's all consuming in the moment and then it follows you in your dreams when you fall asleep. Oh. Every server I mean talk about naked dreams when you're a kid at school. When you work in restaurants, it's waking up in a cold sweat like oh shit i forgot that that person ordered a <laughs> bottle of champagne and i told you know i mean you wake up and you're like oh the oysters on table 12 <laughs> i've actually legitimately said that to myself when i got home i was like fuck <laughs> oh no, dude i 100 percent. i've been home and i've been like oh when especially when the person's nice and they don't uh, complain and oh. you get home and you go Oh, fuck, they ordered coffee, and I never even went back. I just dropped the check, and they didn't say anything. It's like, oh, brutal. 
I have taken care of people who have come back the second time and like, hey, hold on. <laughs> I, I remember you. I, I gotcha. There you uh, go. Yeah. No, that's a good server right there. The other sound is the receipt paper sound. Oh. As a bartender, I cannot unhear it. It just, oh, just shrill <laughs> send. And you know, and, and it's the one, the one at like 1035 when you closed at 10. Like, yep. yo, whoa, why is there a margarita in my well right now? Hold on. Dude, I mean, I worked at Revival, which is the, the nightclub, the sort of bar lounge at the Kempton Sawyer. And on Friday, Saturday nights, I mean, it just, I mean, just you'd have orders just the end of the tape is just on the ground getting soaked oh yep we can't even pull the tags fast enough to look at them but that that is why then in between and before like the family in restaurants of people that work there is the best because it's the intensity and what it feels like the stakes of working in a restaurant when it's busy forges people together in a way that's that's really really fun and even though working at that huge bar, some of the most fun I had was it took us an hour and a half to clean that place up minimum at the end of a long night. And it was super fun at the end of the night to have everyone cleared out and have it be quiet and the lights low and clean up and just kind of go, dude, you know, we. What the fuck just yeah, happened? <laughs> exactly. It's exactly right. It's uh, it's amazing. There's nothing like it. I mean, that's another reason everyone should work in a restaurant because there's really nothing like getting crushed. And getting through it and looking at each other at the end of the night and going, wow. Makes that cold beer taste even better. <laughs> and and one of the things that's happening a lot more now post-pandemic is speaking a little off cuff here. But sure. I, I believe most restaurants are now t uh, pooled houses. A lot of them are so, going to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's now to a point of like, that's there's no such thing as that's not my table. Right. No, no. Get their order and get it in. Like we're all taken from the same pool at this point we are all supporting each other we are all in this together and it's brought the camaraderie on e even more what one thing that i have noticed that has that we've kind of lost post covid was the the going out for drinks afterwards mm. it, it just hasn't quite come back yet and i i hope it does because that's where a lot of the team building and the camaraderie and the chemistry is developed is like you said the the sitting together afterwards kind of looking at each other like oh okay we're gonna we made it through let's do it again tomorrow night and i you can see it in the person's eyes when you're sitting across from them like hey we're gonna do it again i got your back you got my back give me one of your worst and you can take a minute to answer this but give me one of your biggest horror stories in a restaurant of either just Oh, the most vicious have you have it already <laughs> i have it i have it oh table 36 i know the table number eight top <laughs> Fa family birthday uh the family was absolutely lovely and then that uncle showed up oh no that uncle with that second wife oh who was my. 20 uncle who was in his 50s new wife in her late 20s mm -hmm. maybe 30s but i mean manicure pedicure fake lips just the whole nine yards you know who i'm talking about. sure smells like chanel takes over the whole restaurant so i end up having a lovely dinner with the entire family they are lovely i thought i judged them wrong the whole nine yards 
And at the very end, we, we've had drinks together at this point. I think I had a glass of wine with him. It was lovely. And at the very end, said second wife looked at me. She's like, so do you have any like dreams or anything? And it was just like, <laughs> oh. The best part now about the story is that like, like they were the last people in there. Like mm-hmm. the entire restaurant heard her ask me this question. <laughs> And that notion eats at me, I will mm. admit. I definitely feel the, the the look down of like, oh, you're a server. Yeah. And I know I shouldn't let it get to me, but it I will admit it definitely does. And it takes a little bit for me to shake that off of me because I know what I'm in it for. But yeah, I mean that it, it's that context and it's that remark. Like you said, <laughs> it's a horror story. I can tell you every every instance about it but it's like those are the worst ones like the indignant customer dude i'm not even gonna waste my time worrying about Mm. you you're already unhappy in life right i don't care about you but it was those ones where it was like just the utter look down (laughs) of someone like hey easy like i didn't put my cup on today oh wow yeah so i understand where you're going with the question and it's something that i know and i'm sure you might relate i know i am guilty of but like Say on a busy Saturday night, I will have 15, four, sorry, 14 amazing tables, and I'll have one terrible table, and that's the table I'll talk about later. Of course. And it's yeah. it's very disappointing, and I try to talk myself out of that sometimes. I was like, I had 14 outstanding conversations tonight, mm-hmm. but I'm going to ride this one out. And so those ones I've learned to kind of turn off and push away, but no, it was the like, do you, so do you have any dreams or goals? Like it was goals. That's what it was. Yeah. Do you have any goals? I was just like, Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, that's amazing. And you know what? You said something to me that really struck me, which I think is really beautiful and something people don't think about when they think about what it's like to be front of house. As you mentioned, you know, I'll have 15 tables and I'll have one that's bad, but you mentioned, all have had 14 beautiful conversations throughout the night. And like, what an amazing gift and what a cool thing. If you can really do it and you can really get to a point where you're a good server or a good bartender, everybody, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you like to joke around about how you hate people and they're the worst, whatever, like everybody loves to have a good conversation and connect with another human being. And when you're a good front of house worker, that's your job. What cooler thing to get to do than to just spend two hours with somebody and and connect with them in a really real human way. I ruptured my Achilles about two and a half months ago. I am now two months out of surgery, but back to your 15 tables comment, I didn't realize how many friends I had that are my regulars at work. Mm. One of the things that's really nice about Camden is we have an outstanding regulars crowd that come in on a consistent basis and I appreciate them. But I mean, I've been there for three and a half years now they're my friends. I see them two to three days a week, whether it's at lunch or happy hour or at dinner. And it's just kind of funny in the past two months of me not being there, how many, and, I, and appreciative, how many people have reached out to ask how I'm doing, to say they miss me. And I feel like, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen them either. Like these relationships can go above and beyond just me being the guy who brings you your salad at lunch. 100%. I mean, my wife worked at Elephant Bar was her she worked at ruby tuesdays was her first job she got in the restaurant which i don't even know if ruby tuesdays exists anymore 
speaking of places that don't exist, then she worked at Elephant Bar, which at least all I the ones around here have closed. Um, but she used to work the lunch shift at Elephant Bar, and she, my wife loves senior citizens as it is. Her her grandpa was her best friend. She, But she, there was this guy, Homer, who would come in for lunch almost every day. And he became a dear friend of my wife to the point that she would have lunch with him when she wasn't at work. And it was totally fun, sweet. They just talked about his whole life story, and he asked her about her life story, and they just they became legitimate friends. This man in his mid-80s and my wife, who at the time was in her mid-20s, I remember going to the funeral with her and just watching her cry at the funeral of this man that she only knew from serving him sort of two or three times a week for lunch for two years in this restaurant. And that's just a really beautiful thing. I don't, I don't know how to say it other than that. Like you, you kind of only get that in the world of restaurants. Even a regular coming in on a consistent basis, I'm going to get to know you. I want to know who you are. Like, no offense. I don't want you to sit there quietly. That's just awkward for me standing behind a bar right like i want to know who you are and like share things with you and trust me if you become friends with me you get a lot of free stuff little key for everyone always sit in front of the well you would be surprised how many drinks get messed up and they become free (laughs) when camden opened how much of the menu did you get to taste when they first opened because if if i've always said if anyone asked me what's the best meal you've ever had the best meal i've ever had actually was being on the opening team at restaurants i was on the opening team at beast and bounty and at revival and both times the sh- we literally got walked through the entire menu and they cooked every dish too much of every dish for the whole team to try where it was just like i mean it was like a louis the 14th feast just giant table of ridiculous nonsense where halfway through you're like i gotta st- i gotta start taking one or oh, two bites of everything you love that corporate money oh dude absolutely i mean it's <laughs> it was like amazing did you get to have a feast like that when you guys first opened wasn't quite louis the 14th caliber <laughs> but uh no oliver does an outstanding job with borderline forcing us to try all of his food, yeah. which I appreciate, though, because how am I going to sell something that I don't know what it tastes like? Right. How am I going to explain the nuances of things? How am I going to explain the pork demi-glaze? How am I going to explain the, the the crunch on the fried chicken? Like, And that's the difference, you mentioned it earlier, in like good serving versus serving, is knowing the ins and outs and the hows and the whys and explaining that to a table. And I'll be frank, half the time servers are full of shit, but you make it sound good and it works. <laughs> yep. That's that is you have got to be a good bullshit artist. Oh yeah. Uh, if you want to be a server. Yep. Let's jump into some of our rapid fire food related questions that I like Let to do rip. at the end of every show. So the first one I always start with is what is your favorite cheap guilty pleasure? <sighs> a late night bowl of cereal. I love a good cinnamon toast crunch at night. I my my biggest issue with breakfast is only the time of day. Why does it have to be an AM thing? Why can I not do breakfast in the evening? And so the quickest, easiest breakfast to me is cereals. And that, so that is my 100% go-to late night. Like, why are you eating that now? It's like, don't worry about it. Yeah. You'll be fine. Uh, absolutely. I mean, breakfast food, spoken like Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec, of the only food worth eating is breakfast food. And I am not going to lie, we're recording this podcast late at night. It's, now, it's currently 11 p.m. here as we're getting ready to wrap up. And before... We jumped on a little over an hour ago. I was literally thinking, I I can't wait till this is over so I can have a bowl of cereal before I go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> like what I'm looking forward to. Uh, yep. That's amazing. Well, hold on. So what, what's what's your so so I'll ask you two questions ra- rapid fire back. Give me your late night cereal, but also your morning cereal, because I know there can be a difference. There is. So, I mean, morning cereal, I'm, I, right now it's both because we don't we I mean, cereal can be such a problem around here that when I'm going at it and we're just going to have it in the house, it's going to be the cheap not even the box. I can't. The box is too expensive if I'm really on a cereal binge. So it's going to be the bag of fake fruity pebbles. Okay. You know, just at the bottom. Fruity pebbles yep. are probably are probably my top choice for like the dessert late night yep. cereal cereal hit. But otherwise, like a good you know, Costco has a really good granola that's just called Ancient Grains. That's just like uh, may as exactly well be candy. It may as well be candy. It's not. You eat it. And you're like this isn't. This is supposed to be healthy. I can already tell from this first bite. It's not healthy at all. <laughs> uh, but, it, I mean, I'm sure it has some good grains and some good whole foods and Allegedly. whatever else in it. But it also has plenty of sugar. Which um, <laughs> is what I love about cereal. It's the ultimate con. Like, come on. This is... It's not bad for me. Yeah, right? Yeah. Three bowls of Cinnamon Toast Crunch later. Well... <laughs> cinnamon Toast Crunch also, yeah, very high on the yep. list. What is your favorite dish to cook at home? We didn't get a lot into home cooking, which as we partner on podcasts and, and host some episodes together, we'll get into more of our own home cooking. But what's your favorite thing to cook at home right now? Pizza. Yeah. My mom got me a pizza oven for my birthday. Early COVID. Right around right around the sourdough craze. You remember that mm-hmm. time? Oh, it's uh, still yep, going exactly. for me. I got a hey, starter ooh, still still rolling. Done. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got into I got a pizza oven. And I dove hard into the Detroit style. Big fan of the Detroit style. Uh, I just like pizza. What's Detroit style? So Detroit style, uh, Little Caesars. Thicker, little square pan. Okay. It's almost, it's basically focaccia. Okay. Yeah, it's that thick, airy, put some good rosemary in there. Yeah, kind of oily, almost a little more oily than a regular dry crust. So you put a ton of oil in the pan. There you go. And so you honestly are, you're borderline deep frying the outside of the pizza. It's very healthy. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) That's my at-home favorite thing to cook right now. Okay. What's the dish you wish you could go back to childhood and and experience again? What's your ratatouille dish? Mm, mm, mm-mm-mm. Fortunately, I can still get it, but it's one of two dishes that my mom makes. One is her pasta carbonara. Mm. It is, again, see a theme here? Bacon, you know, real healthy. Uh, (laughs) Pasta carbonara, that was the dish my mom used to make me for my birthday every year. And then the other one is she, I'm sure it's a very basic recipe, but I've tried to make it and it's just not the same. But she would do this curry, sticky rice, chopped up chicken breast green apples and spring onions and just kind of cook it and toss it all together and she would always just keep a massive bowl in it in the fridge and that was fair game whenever we wanted to growing up and like cold warm lukewarm sitting out in the sun for four hours it just every time it tasted <laughs> uh, and and tossed with mayo too to kind of give it the binding of it mm-hmm. um oh it was just so good and i've tried to remake it and it's just not the same i don't know what it is it's amazing these simple dishes that you have growing up that you try to remake and it is there's something it just gets into how much it's really the experience and the memory of it what's your favorite spot to go in sacramento right now what's a place you'd like to highlight 
place I would like to highlight. All right, well, ooh. and maybe one, maybe one that's not going to be off the tongue of any, you know, some foodie in Sacramento. Not, not one of the, you know, five to eight places we've all heard of. No, I got it. All right, we are coming into peach season. Mm, yes, uh, we are. So it might be another three to four weeks still, but the peach milkshake at Whitey Cones in West Sac might be one of the best things you could ever taste from Sacramento. They they mix it up with real peaches. You get chunks of peach in there. You get little bits of skin. It is the most, especially on like a 95 degree day, the most perfect thing in the world. Whitey Cone being the little 50s diner shack over down off Jefferson in West Sacramento. If you if you hang a left getting off 80. It, 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 it's this cute little, I mean, it almost looks like an old McDonald's or something mm-hmm. like that. Um Absolutely, just one of the best. Great burger, too, but just classic Americana, great burger and a shake. I think they do corn dogs. They do all sorts of good, fun stuff there, and so I would definitely recommend going to check that spot out. Fantastic. I will be there in three weeks. Once once I really buy a good peach oh. at Sprouts, oh, it's... not Safeway, at Sprouts, when I buy a good peach, and it's good. <laughs> oh, you're getting the expensive <laughs> ones. Damn. Sprouts actually isn't bad for produce. Yeah. Once I get a good peach there, my next stop is Whitey Cone for a peach milkshake. That sounds absolutely pretty spectacular. All right, Neil. Well, uh, really good to talk with you, man. Really looking forward to us working together some more on future episodes. And it was good to hear your story. And uh, can't wait to just continue to talk about restaurants and food and, and everything from, you know, peach milkshakes to fried chicken to spam musubi to... We'll get into some fancier things as well. We Why promise for all that. Why are you saying all these things I know. right now? It is 11 o'clock <laughs> at night. Where am I going to get those things? Right on, dude. Thanks for taking the time tonight. I had a good time. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Dine One Six. If you like the show, please rate and review it. That's the best way for new people to find us. And send it out to all your friends and family. Let them know about this new food podcast all about Sacramento. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Both handles are at Dine16. And if you have questions about the show, or you have ideas for episodes that you want Neil and I to look into, email me at max at dine16.com. The opening and closing theme music are by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. The Dine16 is a production of the Hear Me Now studio, located in Citrus Heights. Join me next week for a new episode when we'll interview Bobby Coyote. If that name sounds familiar, that's because he is the namesake, the owner, and the creator of one of the most iconic food franchises here in Sacramento. Although it's not technically a franchise because he owns all of them. And that is Dos Coyotes. We'll talk all about how he came up with the idea of Dos Coyotes and how he grew Dos Coyotes into what it is today. Until then, as always, eat something you love with someone you love.